have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork, alongside Delu, as uh, we kind of get into the mix here during the summer months. Uh, happy Fourth of July to everyone uh, that that took place uh, here just this last weekend. And uh, not only were there some fireworks going on outside Delhi, there were some fireworks going off uh, in the K State uh, in the K State world with uh, some big time recruiting news the week previously. Dylan Edwards uh, committing to Kansas State, uh, the talented, versatile running back from Derby, Kansas, committing to Kansas State. And then, of course, the news that got everyone uh, fired up here just uh, the day after the 4th uh, of July um, with uh, with Avery Johnson committing. Wait a minute. Was it the day after? Yeah. It was July 5th. July 5th. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, these days with the holiday, they just all run together. Today's the 6th, of course, now. So we'll be bringing this to you here on the 7th. But uh, an exciting time for K-State. Uh, with with getting Dylan Edwards and uh, Avery Johnson into the mix here in this 2023 recruiting class, uh, and and there's still work to be done here, which we'll, uh, of course, touch on. Before we get too far into the podcast, Deli, yeah, great to see you. You know, it's great to see you, too. I I think it's been since March, just after uh, Jerome Tang was hired by Kansas State, that that we were last on the airwaves, and since then, I know... I have, and I know you have too, just been locked ourselves in the film room oh, and analyzing all 22, been looking over recruiting prospects, um, and really kind of grinding on uh, the different formations we expect to see out of Kansas State under the Colin Klein uh, leadership on the offensive side, really analyzing kind of how we see that edge position shaping out on defense. And, uh, you know, it's you know, making those analyses require us to review all sorts of different film dating back sometimes decades, uh, trying to figure out what we can expect to see out of Kansas State uh, this coming season. But nobody said uh, having a, a wildly popular K-State podcast was going to be easy. No, no one did say that. We, we, uh, we knew what we were signing up for when we started this, uh, this podcast back Right at the start of the 2018 season, seems like it's, uh, you know, if, if the short side option were a college football player, it'd be running about out of eligibility. Darn near. Yeah, I mean, we might well, we get the extra COVID season. But we might be setting our sights, you know, because of how big time we are uh, to, to take it to the next level. But, you know, something tells me we might stay in college a little bit. We enjoy the ride a little bit. Yeah, we're going for a saying. fifth year, brother. Victory yeah, life. absolutely, my brother. Well, hey, before we get too far into it, yeah. I want to talk about our friends over at Manhattan Brewing Company. That's right. You know, Manhattan Brewing Company, 406 Points, 406 Points Avenue, right in the heart of Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, this summer, how, how nice would it be just to stroll right down points, go go have a couple beers at Manhattan Brewing Company, get a chat with folks about, um, you know, the upcoming season. That's what they're doing down there. Yeah. Over there at Manhattan Brewing Company. This week, uh, for, for folks that are might be in the area or you know a short drive away from Manhattan, this is marking their two-year anniversary uh, of opening up. They have a soft two-year anniversary party on Friday. They got specials all weekend uh, with two new beer releases. And uh, they're also going to have some barbecue there from uh, Killer Barbecue, Smoking H's Meats. Coming to you live there. How how good does that sound? Have a have a town here too. 
have, have some barbecue. How, how, how good does that sound? It sounds great. It, you know, there's nothing more. If it were me, I'd just stroll up to the bar, grab a big sandwich, guzzle down a few beers, and grab the guy, the closest guy next to me, and start ear holing him about how he thinks Avery Johnson's game is going to translate from Mays to Kansas State. And it's it, that's what we're all excited about, yeah. too, of course. And, uh, you know, they've got specials all week long, all weekend long as well, uh, celebrating their second anniversary. Head on down to Manhattan Brewing Company, uh, 406.7 in Manhattan. You can also keep up with them on Instagram and Facebook at Manhattan Brewing and MHKBrew.com. So great place to uh, stay up on all of their uh, current events. So we love having them part of the podcast. And uh, we, we need to get down to Manhattan to uh, go enjoy a few pints here before too long. That's right. And tell them the icon sent you. Tell them the icons. Tell them Dealer Seat, too. Yeah. Tell, tell them we both sent you. But, you know, and, and as you mentioned, sitting around with some beers, talking uh, about what this upcoming recruiting class uh, yeah. has coming in here to, uh, to, to Kansas State as part of the 2023 recruiting class. I think a lot of K-State fans were doing that this weekend here over the 4th of July. Yeah, I mean, it. you know, it's it's easy to get sucked in and kind of lost in the euphoria of big recruiting wins. Um, but with this in particular, it, it, it does feel like it's, I don't know whether it's the dawn of a new age or it's just, you know, our the, the hard work that the staff has put in coming to roost or what, but it does kind of feel like something is changing. Um, because during the sunset, well, for most of Snyder 2.0, and maybe all of Snyder 2.0, um, you know, we were recruiting at a level that was at or near the bottom of the Big 12. Um, and the same was true for Kleinman's first few years. Sure. And all of a sudden, you look at this class, which... I believe has what twelve people in yep. it as it stands right now, um, and you look up and down the list, and it's like any one of these guys would be just about top five recruits for us in any of the last I don't know ten, eleven, twelve classes. Sure. Um, and I think, and maybe you're about to get to this, and I, I don't want to cut you off, but I think the most exciting part of this recruiting class is we're we're here right at the start of July, plenty of time to, to continue to add. There's the expectations that, you know, we're not done here throughout even the month of July uh, right. to add a few more guys. Uh, but those guys that we're targeting and those guys that we are, are right in the mix for, maybe even favorites for, also kind of cut from the same cloth. I think looking through the recruiting class of, of the current uh, the current status of that recruiting class, of those 12 guys, all but one has multiple Power 5 offers, which, you know... Eh, well, so, that's not quite right, Icon. Is it? Is it well, 10 of the multiple Power 5 offers, including K-State. Okay. Is another Power the, 5 the, you gotta, you gotta So get I just want to clarify that. Yeah, um, absolutely. But nonetheless, it's... Compared to the last few years, it seemed like if, if another Power 5, another non-KU Power 5 team came knocking on one of our recruiting targets, it was, all right, well, so long. Um, but this season, it's like we are legitimately beating out other Power 5 teams, and in some cases, particularly in the case of Avery Johnson and Dylan Edwards, but uh, really for multiple guys in this class, it's we are beating out a lot of other programs. Oh, sure. And so it's, it's, it's just such a stark contrast, and I think that that's a big credit to, number one, the, the relationships that 
that Climate and Company have built throughout the state. But number two, I think it's the new blood in the coaching staff. I think it's Colin Klein um, coming in and, and first and foremost doing a good job in the bowl game, kind of putting on a showcase for what sure. this next K-State offense is going to look like in terms of spreading the ball around a little bit more, not not relying so heavily on the quarterback run, uh, but also picking up the pace a little bit, getting into that 65 maybe plays per game, mm-hmm. uh, which, yeah, I wanna, which I want to come back to. Yeah. Because I've run some studies on this. Well, and, you know, I don't think K-State – for whether if it's kind of the the style of playing complementary football uh, and wanting not to necessarily be snapping the ball 80 times a game, wanting to rely on what, what should be a really nice defense here again this last uh, was this last year and, and we expect again this year. Uh, to play that complementary style of football, you know, obviously the identity of what is going to take place in 2022 uh, is going to be heavily predicated on Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez. Uh, running the football uh, with Deuce catching the ball in the backfield, but spreading the ball around, getting guys like Malik Knowles, um, the ball, my guy out of the tight end position, Sammy Wheeler, Phillip Brooks out of the slot. There, there's some options there, and I think Colin Klein uh, is going to be uh, a guy that's going to be a little bit more imaginative with his play calling, and, and more importantly, too, and I want to go back to kind of getting that new blood. With Colin Klein, it is new blood as the offensive coordinator, having you know previously his his previous role as the quarterback coach, now accepting the responsibility of the offensive coordinator and the and the chief play caller, but also to have a guy that just ten years ago, which, gosh, that seems like a when when you say ten years, that seems like a long time kind ago. Of but but uh, exactly, I like to not think that that's too long ago, uh, but w- was a guy that was a Heisman front runner, a uh, Heisman finalist. Uh, has some name recognition still within not only the state of Kansas, but uh, throughout the country. And uh, is a guy that is really seeming to kind of come into his own on the recruiting trail and, and no greater evidence uh, than that with the uh, commitment of Avery Johnson here just the other day. That's right. And don't overlook uh, the importance of, of a guy like Thad Ward. Yes. Who's coming in. and Rad Thad. Yeah, Thad is rad. Um, coming in and getting a guy like... Uh, you know, Andre Davis right off the bat. And that's a guy from uh, out Stillwell, goes to Blue Valley. K-State won his commitment over offers from programs like Illinois, Iowa, Iowa State, KU, Minnesota, Nebraska. Um, and, you know, for him to go out there and, and up against guys like Kevin Kane, which is a familiar name around these sure. parts out of Illinois, or Nathan Shieldhouse, who's, again, been a thorn in K-State's side over the last five years or so. Uh, when it comes to local recruiting. But for, for Thad to come in and pair up with Colin Klein, to come in and really just, I don't, I don't want to say lock down the state because guys like Odding obviously got away, yeah. but to really just make a dent in the, uh, particularly the skill positions here around the state of Kansas. Um, and we'll see if it, it goes beyond that. But so far in the state of Kansas, I think is just a sharp divergence from what we've seen over the last decade and a half. Um, because generally speaking, over the last decade and a half, those those guys have gone elsewhere. They've gone yeah. their first ticket out of state. Um, hell, KU's got better run on some of the, the skill position players in the state when you look at guys like Devin Neal recently. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and so to to go in there to get those big coups over wide receivers – 
especially wide receivers, because we've had a hard time recruiting them sure. uh, forever. Mm-hmm. And now with Davis and some of these other guys, um, like Manning, Jacoby Lane, um, that are also on K-State's radar, it's just impressive to see this transformation that K-State's recruiting has made uh, seemingly overnight. Yeah, and that's a great rundown kind of of the the 30,000 view or foot view uh, of what K-State recruiting looks like here with this 2023 class right in the middle of the swing of things here. Uh, let's go ahead and kind of really look at, at the two most recent additions to this, uh, or, or two of the three most recent additions uh, with, uh, with Joe Jackson uh, committing to Kansas State uh, as, as a running back out of the Sunshine State, maybe K-State's own Sunshine Scooter. <laughs> you know, what do you think about that? Yo! Yo! Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a throwback to, uh, to NCAA football. Yeah, Lee Corso, baby. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that was a Herb Street uh, sound bite. Oh, there. no question. And we'll get, to, we'll get to Kirk Herb Street, I feel like, a little bit later on. That's a tease, folks. Yeah, for our uh, weekly Kirk Herb Street segment. Yes, of course. Uh, but let's go ahead and talk about uh, Dylan Edwards and Avery Johnson. Sure. These two guys have been 1A and 1B on K-State's recruiting board uh, for, for some time here for this 2023 class. Uh, Dylan Edwards, running back out of Derby, Kansas. Shifty, has some great speed. Maybe one of the fastest running backs in the class. Just a freak speed. And... You know, one of the fastest running backs, not only in the state of Kansas, but across the entire country. Just one of the fastest people in the world. In the world. Call it like it is. Yeah. And he he commits to come to Kansas State uh, to play running back for for K-State. And I think you're going to see him used, not maybe in a traditional running back role where he's going to be carrying the ball 25 times a game. certainly think he's capable of that. But I think in terms of what he's going to be able to do immediately on the field— Gets me really excited for for the potential of what he's going to be able to contribute, not only throughout his entire career at Kansas State, but uh, even as early as day one. Yeah, I mean, I think that I I certainly don't think they're clones of each other uh, for a number of reasons, but I think the way that he can be used is very similar to Deuce. Sure, and that yeah. he's a guy who can who can. Get carries, yep. but he's also a guy that you can split out and have him be a weapon in the slot to take some of those intermediate routes where it just creates a nightmare matchup problem for a linebacker who's going to have to say, okay, we have to account for Dylan Edwards because he's got game-breaking speed that can hit you in any number of ways. Um, and that's what we get out of Deuce, where it's the speed shiftiness is a little different between the two of them. I think Edwards is more of a just flat-out burner than Deuce is. Sure. But um, just the Swiss Army knife utility of, of a player like that that can hurt you out of the backfield and that can hurt you split out wide is invaluable. Um, and, you know, we've K-State's offense has really been so reliant on Deuce uh, these last two years. I, I think he, like the disproportionate amount that Deuce is involved in a particular offensive play for K-State is like, considerably more than any other program in the country uses any single player. Sure. And to have a guy like that come in and replace that kind of production, even if, well, and especially if we're not going to rely on him to the same extent we rely on Deuce, is just 
great news for uh, for any offense, but especially K State. And and you know, there's this this thought in in most K State fans' minds that this is likely to be Deuce Vaughn's final season at Kansas State as he as he may look to go enter uh, the 2023 NFL draft. But you know, I, I'm not so sure that it is necessarily. It, put a gun to my head. Yeah, it probably is his last year. But the thought of having Deuce Vaughn in the backfield, in the same backfield as as uh, Dylan Edwards, that that gives uh, defensive coordinators nightmares. I, I'm yeah. sure not if that would be a, a and it certainly is a possibility, and would certainly love to see that uh, be an option here for Kansas State in the future. You know, Dylan Edwards recruitment. Uh, was kind of wide ranging. You sure. know, it looked like K State was maybe the favorite at times. Other times looked like uh, you know they were maybe fighting for second fiddle behind Oklahoma and Nebraska. Uh, you know, Dylan Edwards uh, on his on the signing day table had hats of Oklahoma, Kansas State, and Nebraska, who who K State beat out for uh, Dylan Edwards, but offers from many other schools, right? Arizona, Arizona State, Missouri. Looked all around the country, and you know had 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 a visit to Texas A and M, which you know looked like that might be a potential landing spot for him too. Uh, but for him to stay home uh, and uh, you know be become a, a the next chapter in, in the Edwards family legacy at Kansas State, following his father Leon, uh, is something that got K State fans uh, very excited and deservedly so. Right, and the the narrative about K State locally for so long was kids want to go out of state. They want, oh, sure. they want the next thing. They, they want bigger and better than what the state of Kansas and its colleagues have to offer. Um, and what we're seeing now with, with Dylan and, and Edwin uh, Johnson, who I'm sure we'll get to intermittently here, is maybe that narrative starting to shift a little bit. Maybe yeah. K-State, maybe Kleiman and Klein and, and whoever else is, is running the show there, and maybe NIL, like, NIL money too. Sure, but maybe there's, maybe K State's becoming cool. Maybe, maybe it's like you know what, you know it's cool, Kansas State staying at home. Yeah, playing, um, and, and there is something to that too. Even you touched on NIL just just a bit ago. That perspective, I think, really reigns true because I mean, Kansas State, the predominant football power power in in the state of Kansas. Yeah. You know, if you go out of state. You know, we, we take Dylan Edwards, we take, you know, uh, Avery Johnson. If they were to go out of state, to go, you know, both looked at Nebraska, Oklahoma with, with uh, Dylan Edwards here as we're talking here on the short side option, that, you know, you go there, I'm not saying you get lost in the shuffle, but it, it hits different when you're a home state kid. And I think that's what makes it a big deal to, for, for K-State fans because there's a, there's something a little bit about, you know, coming – from the state that, that you, you lived up, that you lived in, grew up in, and going to play for the home state school, that there's a little bit more of a tie to that. And I think that that's why most K-State fans are, are so excited is that you get not only just four-star high-level talent, but for them to stay home, play for the home state school, gets my gets my hair raised. Like, yeah, a little bit. Well, a little bit of state pride there. For sure. And th- there's no question that, you know, the OU fans weren't aware of Dylan Edwards two years ago. Oh, yeah. Like K-State fans were. I remember actually watching a game. 
it was like on Spectrum Sports here in Kansas City. And I can't remember if it was over the, the COVID year or maybe the year before. But uh, Derby was playing Mill Valley in a game that was broadcast on there. And I remember watching it, and I was like, I don't know who this number I – th- I, I mean, I don't know who this Dylan Edwards guy is. I don't know who this running back is. But, man, this guy is 150 pounds sopping wet as a sophomore, I believe, at the time. Mm-hmm. And this guy is – no one can catch him. He's Brandon Banks. Yeah, I, you kind of think that when you see that that yeah. level of speed, and he's just running free. And I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but man, I'd love to see him in purple someday. And, and sure enough, that's that's how it, uh, it it came out. And for for K State to win this recruiting battle, you see this as a if Deuce Vaughn is decides to move on after the season, this is a guy that you can plug in here day one. And get some of that same production that what you saw from Deuce Vaughn, hopefully as a freshman. Right, and and it'll be nice because it's certainly not going to be anything that's totally foreign to Colin Klein. And how do we use this weapon? Um, because we got a pretty good litmus test and a case study right uh, right here in Manhattan uh, throughout Deuce Vaughn's career. And so um, Dylan Edwards, sky's the limit for him. I I, I think that he is the prototypical all-purpose back. Um, just like uh, Deuce, but provides some different weapons, maybe not quite Deuce's elusiveness yet, um, but certainly I'm, I'm not putting uh, any sort of cap on, on Dylan Edwards' potential. Uh, incredible recruiting win. Um, you know, he's a guy that, and I'll say the same thing about Johnson, that following these recruitments, it's like, why are we even bothering going after him? Why are we devoting any time, any resources in sure. trying to land this kid? Because we've seen this movie before. I mean, we everybody gets their hopes up. We spend hours and hours of time recruiting him. He inevitably goes to Missouri or Nebraska or Oklahoma or Oklahoma Illinois or yeah. Iowa State or wherever. Anywhere but here. Oklahoma State. Um, and then we're left... In, in October, yeah. trying to find you know the 40th best running back in Georgia or whatever, and making do. But credit to K State for um, you know sticking with it and being persistent and ultimately uh, winning out and uh, getting a great player. And the other thing too about Dylan Edwards, and you know there there are some fans that kind of gave gave some flack to how he handled his recruitment. I I was not one of those. I mean, he's going out and he's vetting the best options for what he wants to do in his career. Uh, but one kind of concern was like, well, if they get, you know, a Dylan Edwards or if they get an Avery Johnson, you know, the vultures are still going to be circling mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, waiting for that other shoe to drop. I do not get that sense whatsoever. Uh, both these guys are not only committed to Kansas State, but they are committed to uh, bringing others into the fold here as part of this uh, 2023 recruiting class. Well, yeah. I mean, there's, there's always the risk that... Until, until the ink's dry. Right. Yeah. And, sure. and even then, it's transfer out, whatever. Yeah. But, but the bottom line is that getting their commitment in a, Huge first step. In a big, you know, orchestrated know announcement, yeah. it's, uh, it goes a long way towards getting that ink dry. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, you know, anything can happen. But in the meantime, they're committed to play for K-State. It doesn't seem like, you know, it's been 
what a week and a half for Edwards a week. Yeah, two weeks for Edwards and two, and, two days and, for and twenty four days or twenty four hours for uh, for Johnson here. Yeah, so um, it's hard to say, but for now, looks great. Looks yeah. great. Well, let's go ahead and hop into Avery Johnson's uh, and kind of twist the spotlight over to him here. Sure. This is a guy like Dylan Edwards' recruitment, where K State fans have been fixated. You know. 1A, 1B is what I said in terms of how they were viewed on K-State's board and, and with a lot of the fans. Their attention, their, the attention to their recruitment was was laser-focused from not only the K-State staff as evidence with gaining their commitment, but also the fans. Dalton Shum, laser-focused. Laser-focused, baby. That's yeah. right. That's a term that's used in corporate America far too much. I'm sorry I just used that, folks. Of the, uh, hey, hey no, of Joe the, Hall uses it. Well, Joe Hall's a legend. That's where I got my Twitter avatar. Well, and he is, he's a big reason for this this, yeah. uh, this recruiting class. That's, that's a good point. With Avery Johnson choosing Kansas State over Oregon and Washington, his two other finalists, what else can really be said other than this is one of the biggest K-State recruiting wins in the last decade? Yeah, it, probably even longer. I think it's. I think it's. Um, I was thinking about this. I think Josh Freeman is probably the closest comparison post DoD. Um, and I want to touch on this here a little bit. But go ahead. Sure. I, I think that uh, the comparison is 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 Freeman in terms of seismic wins because yeah. back then I. I for those who are old enough to remember the Josh Freeman recruitment, it was kind of out of nowhere that he flipped from Nebraska to K-State. You had Nebraska Radio. Uh, Jim Rose. Jim Rose. God, what a, what freaking out about was, it. Yeah. Um, but and then I went and saw Ron Prince speak at the 810 zone in Leewood the next day. Got out of high school for it. Um, on his little... On his little circuit. Through the, yeah. Stop. yeah. Uh, his first stop, by the way. Scott City America. That's right. That's right, baby. Um, I was there. Yeah, well, we were all we all had Prince Fever. We did, but no, that was a huge recruiting win. Um, this obviously is a huge recruiting win too. Two local quarterbacks who are, are tapped to be, you know, the next big thing um, for in, in terms of quarterbacks, and especially for Kansas State. Um, so, what can you say? It's Avery Johnson was a superstar at the Elite Eleven. He had a national recruitment with, you know, tens and scores of offers. Oh, yeah. Um, and that it was Washington and Oregon and, and Kansas State in the end um, is almost happenstance uh, just because programs like Tennessee, Wisconsin, you know, Nebraska, Missouri, Minnesota, uh, Florida State. I mean, those programs, for whatever reason, uh, just didn't quite make it all the way to the end, whether they found a different guy or what. But really, it was clear at uh, signing at, at his commitment ceremony that Oregon still had eyes elsewhere. Washington had gotten their guy. Um, and so, again, K-State was really the last man standing. Um, and for a guy who wanted to close his recruitment down this summer, that was a great spot for K-State to be in. You know, I want to go back to your comment about Josh Freeman. I think that that's, you know, a, a very um, – very similar, you know, recruitment in terms of high-profile guy, local guy, not from the state of Kansas, but right in the Kansas City right. area. 
The one thing that I would say, and this even goes back to your point that you just made, uh, D'Lo here, about this the staff really kind of finding their way on the recruitment trail. So with Ron Prince, he comes in he with a brand new staff and he flips Josh Freeman. Yeah. With this recruitment, this is really kind of the building blocks of, of the foundation uh, of this Chris Kleiman staff here now going into year four of going in and just winning a recruitment. Not with necessarily some just flip of a switch, new staff in here, here's the new here's the new pitch. But this is a guy that we were in on early, we stayed with, and we ultimately gained his commitment. So to me, that's almost even more exciting that you're seeing, hey, these are recruitments two years ago, one year ago that we were not winning. Now that we've had some time, now that we've established these relationships here in the area. It was that, always the relationships. It was always the relationships. It was always the relationships. That's right. It was never the flashy uniforms. It was never the uniforms. It was never NIL. It was always the relationships. Yeah. And having those building blocks, now that we've seen this staff go out and do that here on their own, kind of the old-fashioned way, so to speak, Yeah, gives you some definite positive feeling going in, not only to... Uh, the remainder of this recruiting cycle, but for recruiting cycles to come. Yeah, I mean, with with Prince, it, there's always this notion, especially with a guy like Snyder, who uh, famously was not great at recruiting towards the end of his run, and especially in the end of the last run, where the next guy that comes in is going to immediately 180 this thing and start winning these battles that Snyder really didn't care about. Um, and we saw that immediately with Prince. But with Prince, he had such a big personality. I mean, Prince, for better or worse, I mean, for all his flaws, the guy's a born salesman. He sold himself, uh, you know, great pitch to Weefald uh, to initially get hired. He came in. He had a pretty good recruiting class uh, his sure. first year. Yeah. Uh, immediately steals the crown jewel of Nebraska's class with Josh Freeman. And oh my God, this guy is a recruiter. He can sell. Um, Kleiman, on the other hand, pretty milk toast. Yep. He's he's a football coach who um, seems like a good, decent man, but I don't think he's a born salesman, at least not in the same way that, that Prince was. And so to your point, for him to come in here and you know, basically uh, hold serve in terms of football for the last uh, three seasons. And, you know, he, he it's clear that the guy's got coaching bona fides. Yeah, no question. Um, but struggled on the recruiting trail. Made do, but nothing to write home about. But for him to really cultivate the relationship with these, these 2023 kids, especially the 2023 Kansas kids, and start actually winning and finishing in first as opposed to second or third or whatever. Um, it, it does feel like it's more like deeper roots, something a little more substantial that the program is standing on uh, compared to the fly-by-night, yeah. new money, um, you know, lottery ticket we thought we had in Prince. And so, yeah, it's it's extremely encouraging uh, for K-State fans to see Kleiman who, like I said, it's clear he's a program manager, um, 
at least a far better program manager than Prince was. And if he can kind of start uh, improving, in, if not thriving, in the recruiting department, then it's a very bright future for K-State. One other thing I want to mention, and I brought this up to you and a couple of the buddies in the group text. I'm not one to believe in this huge butterfly effect that all things are are you know it's a domino effect that leads to to the culmination of of a recruit being landed. But one thing that I will say, I think it is more likely than not that Avery Johnson does not commit to Kansas State if Courtney Messingham is still here as the offensive coordinator. Yeah. If we don't lose that game to Texas in the final game of the season, I don't think Avery Johnson's a Kansas State Wildcat. Yeah, well, you know, and what's almost poetic about all this is, you know, that line about uh, in, in 2006, it was very popular on the KU message boards that this win over Texas will hurt K-State in the long run. Yes, very popular. Well, maybe. And uh, maybe in uh, the year of our Lord, 2021, the loss to Texas helped K-State in the long run. Because because you're absolutely right. I, I, I think that if, if Courtney Messingham's our offense coordinator, Avery Johnson's not a part he, of this. I class. think he would have always entertained Kansas State. Mm-mm. I don't. I, I, I think he would have entertained Kansas. I think we would have not, always been in the mix, but I don't think we would have been the choice. No, not at all. I, mean, I don't think he wanted to play in that this kind of that kind of offensive system that that we you would have been seen with Messingham moving forward. Yeah, I agree. He, nobody, none of these skill players, quarterback included, want to run fifty nine plays a game. And and beyond that, they don't want to be in an, in an offense that's super reliant on the quarterback run. And we saw less of that last year. Um, but we still had a quarterback who was out significant time. The year before, we had a quarterback who was out significant time. And if you want to throw that all on Messingham or not, personally, I don't think the injuries were Messingham's fault. But the 59 plays a game, the not running, not having the capability to run a hurry-up offense um, when the circumstances required it, when we were down multiple scores with six minutes left in the game, not even being able to run a hurry-up offense, um, I think that's a turnoff. Oh, sure. Um, sure. It doesn't take, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to figure that out. I mean, if you're sitting there watching K-State as a, as a skill position player and you're seeing this glacial-paced offense running, like you said, 50, 55 plays a game, you're going to look elsewhere. And, and I think with the... Uh, the implementation of what Colin Klein is going to bring to this offense is going to make K-State a much more attractive uh, destination for these skill position players, not only locally, uh, but throughout the country. Uh, let's let's turn in a little bit to what we think Avery Johnson brings to the table a- as a recruit. Now, you know, this year you've got a one-year stopgap with Adrian Martinez, who, Dell, I don't know about you, but I'm awfully excited for what Adrian Martinez is going to bring to the table. I think it's going to be, yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, I wish he had deeper receivers to sure. throw to, but I think Knowles, if Knowles can put it together this year, um, finally get back to what we thought he was always going to be, and we saw some of that last year, um, then yeah, I mean, I think Adrian Martinez can do it all for us. Now, the, the beat on him is always the costly turnovers and key moments, but. I think he's going to have a more stable offensive line. 
than he had at Nebraska. I think Deuce Vaughn takes a lot of the pressure off him, especially in those key moments. Um, so yeah, no, I'm I'm very eager. Uh, he's got to stay healthy. Got to stay healthy. No question about that. <laughs> and, and, and we'll get more to the 2022 Cavs here, just on a, on a brief kind of a, a check in here of how we're feeling. But uh, you know, the other thing too, I want to mention with this Avery Johnson. Um, commitment is he he's rated as a dual threat quarterback. Oftentimes, when when that term gets thrown out, it's oh this guy can run, but the throwing ability is a is a question mark. You know, you saw at the Elite Eleven, he he stood up as well as anybody at, at that camp, garnering Elite Eleven uh, recognition, uh, being in the top eleven uh, at the camp's conclusion. This is a guy who is. Got a live arm, can make a lot of very tough throws already, and you know you're seeing uh, the athletic ability from him. Whether if it's running the ball or moving outside the pocket with his scrambling, this is a guy that has a skill set that, quite frankly, you can't teach. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what he can't do right now. Um, he's got a good, strong arm, pretty good accuracy, although his uh, completion percentage. Um, a little bit low in terms of season, but who knows? That, that and that's also that's so variable. Yeah, with uh, high school receivers and, and and what maybe the play calls are. Right. You know, sure. Um, but I think he can do it all. I mean, I think he's got incredible speed, incredible athleticism. I mean, it's it's been beat to death. But he's multi sport athlete. I mean, F- football, he, basketball, he baseball. Yeah, hit um, over 450, I think, in high school this last year. You love a good baseball man. Yeah, well, yeah. K-State could use a 450 Good. Use, you could use uh, you know, that, that, uh, that 450 bat average somewhere in the lineup, I'm sure. Yeah. I don't um, think he'll be playing much baseball Kansas City. No, I, I, I don't think I was, so either. I was guessing. But um, I, I don't know what he can't do. I think he's got um, very, very good mobility. I, I think he can... He's got threat on the ground. He can stretch the field. He can be accurate enough, as we saw at Elite 11. Yeah, and, and polished in the passing game, yeah. intermediate routes, deep balls. He has a little bit of everything. In that Doesn't have course. bizarre mechanics or anything no, like that. We wouldn't, wouldn't um, like to see. And so, no, I, if, I don't think there's anybody else that I'd trust K-State's offense with or, or, or be more confident in over the next – four or five years than Avery Johnson. You know, one thing, too, that I was going to mention, we've, we've talked a little bit about the on-field performance, what his strengths are, what his capabilities are as a, as a player between the lines. Uh, but I think maybe what's most exciting about this, and we touched on this in kind of a little bit about how he's, he's really kind of entrenched himself already in just a, a short amount of time, as, a, as going to be a leader in terms of you know galvanizing this recruiting class and being somewhere that you can really build around. Uh, and I think he's kind of got that little bit of that Pied Piper uh, mentality and, and some of those uh, intangibles that you look for in a quarterback. There, there was, a, and I listened to a, a podcast uh, from, from Ryan Wallace here just earlier today. Always does a great job. Always does a great job covering Kansas State recruiting. And you know he he mentioned. You know, and before we get to that, you know oh, what I, sure. you know, Ryan Wallace does a great job with uh, like scouting stuff. His like reviews of camps and stuff, and just 
he doesn't give it to you often, as often as I'd like, but that guy is pretty darn good in terms of giving you a complete rundown of a lot of different prospects. I think I think he's pretty good. I, I think as far as how high school scouts go, he's as good as there is for, for Kansas State in terms of media. And, you know, they, there's a lot of guys that do a great job. Derek Young over at KSO and their staff do a great job of covering recruiting. There's a lot of great places that you can sure. that you can go and get that. But one thing that he shared, and I thought was particularly interesting, he shared a little antidote from the Elite Eleven that uh, Avery Johnson's uh, quarterback trainer, he you know he has his own specialized trainer, was there with him at that Elite Eleven, and um, they they were riding on a bus back to from they were done at the field for the day and they were going back to the hotel, and uh, the uh, one of the guy one of the staffers at the Elite Eleven. Uh, turns to Avery Johnson's trainer and he says, hey, take a look at your boy back there in the back of the bus. And uh, according to the story, is Avery Johnson just kind of the center of attention. Everyone's just engaged with him, really kind of picking his brain uh, and, and really kind of following you know, his lead. Uh, definitely giving it the uh, appearance of a true leader. And is a guy, you see like Josh Manning, Jacoby Lane, guys that are, are high-rated recruiting prospects at the wide receiver position. There are some other guys uh, on the offensive line that K-State's after, too, that have expressed interest in already in, in playing with Avery Johnson yeah. because he has that leadership. He, you know this is a guy that's going to get it done, not only uh, off the field but on the field. That's a guy that people want to surround themselves with. So with this, not only is K-State getting a great player on the field, but they're getting a guy that you can really build a program around uh, from an intangible standpoint for years to come. Yeah, and, and that leadership intangible – you know, element. It's nice to have it in any position. Well, and, and you saw, but, and you saw with Skylar Thompson yeah. too. You know, at the same at the same way, you feel a little bit about that. that this is a guy that guys are going to want to play for, and the guys once they get to Kansas State are going to love playing with. Yeah, and if if there can be one guy on your team that um, just has that natural leadership quality, why not be the quarterback? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's 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 there's not a position in sports that I think is more important for a guy to be able to galvanize the the rest of the team other than the starting quarterback of the football team. And no so, question. so to get his sheer athleticism and the you know the potential um, that he carries along with him, just when you think of him splitting his time between baseball, basketball, and football, once he becomes football-focused, kind of start drooling at the, at the thought of that potential. Um, plus the leadership aspect, it's, it's hard not to just be ecstatic about bringing him into the fold and playing uh, at Fort Snyder. Absolutely. No question. Well said, Dale. Well, let's, before we turn the page here on, on Kansas State's uh, commitments with Avery Johnson and Dylan Edwards, We've been covering the Jacoby Lane. Yeah, recruitment. I'm glad. I'm glad we're touching on this. We've been re- covering that recruitment from Genesis to Revelation, so to speak, from Alpha to Omega. We are the wire to wire leader of his recruitment. Yeah, there is, you know, and there's no better place to to, to follow along at, at TSSO underscore podcast. We'll have all the breaking news on Jacoby Lane's recruitment. The short side option. Um, some people say it's the oldest K State sports podcast. Uh, other people say it's the best. But what cannot be denied is that the Short Side Option Podcast is 
the premier podcast, the home for Jacoby Lane recruiting news. We're all over it. We're, We've been over it from the very beginning. And we're very excited about where K-State stands in his recruitment. And also that Johnson to Lane connection. The Johnson Lane connection, baby. I mean, is that not something that K-State fans are salivating about? Yeah, absolutely. Now, as everybody knows, Jacoby Lane was at the Elite 11. He was. And his performance there, bittersweet for me. Because, uh, of course, by this time, everybody who falls short side option knows Jacoby Lane took home wide receiver MVP honors at the Elite 11, which is a very prestigious, very prestigious. Uh, honor. Um, personally, it's thrilled for the kid. I, and I wasn't surprised because he's extremely we, we, talented. We've always known how, how he was a supreme talent. He was always the Elite 11 wide receiver MVP. But that recognition, I think it's going to start leading to... Uh, Potentially some other suitors uh, for Jacoby Lane's services. And so, will K-State be able to fend him off? I don't know. But my gut? My gut says maybe. I'm, I'm with you there. This is a, a very complex and also a very highly valued recruitment. Yeah. And K-State uh, sits in a very good position, of course, with bringing in Dylan Edwards and uh, Avery Johnson you get that sense that this could be something that, that could be a, harking back to my Dallas Cowboys, a triplet situation. Well, as you always like to say, multiplicity, being able to be it's the name of the game, folks. In the offense. And K-State, in that respect, building a monster. Building a monster. And there's, there's several other guys that, that we could touch on. One guy I want to mention, uh, Josh Manning, yeah. a local kid from Kansas City. Uh, out, out in the Lee Summit area. Guy that K-State is very high on. Yeah. A- and uh, he, they're going to have to fight off Missouri, Arkansas for, for his uh, services. Elijah. He's twisting screws a little bit, perhaps. A little bit. But on the other what? hand, but on the other hand, that is red. And on the other hand, September 10th, folks. Mark it down. Big day. Where K State, I'm gonna go ahead and call it 38 to 12 win over Whoa. Missouri. I like it. 38 to 12, Kansas State rolls over Missouri that day. That 66 nothing. Back to the 1999 game. Yeah, I love it, Dell. Yeah, call I my shot. Calling his shot right there. So that might factor in a little bit to uh, Mr. Manning's decision. Who knows? Could Who be. Knows? Well, Dell, we're gonna close the book here. On, on K-State's uh, recruiting here for the moment. And with one book that closes, another one opens, as I always like to say. Like, you, I'm almost, I'm almost feeling like a little bit like the philosopher right now. Yeah, well, we might hear from him later. But this is a little bit of a, more of a sour subject to one of uncertainty. And that's conference realignment. Yeah, these are uncertain times. They are. And, and with the news of UCLA and USC... Uh, leaving the Pacific 12 Conference and joining uh, the Conference of Champions, I may add. Joining the Conference of Champions? They're, they're, they're leaving the Conference of Champions. Right. They're joining the Big Ten. Yeah. It started some ripples uh, in that, in tradition now that's seeming to be coming every time uh, the calendar flips to the summer months uh, of conference realignment. 
Del, I'm just going to ask you real quick. What, what's your overall thoughts on, on where this may, may be going and what ultimately it might mean for the Big 12? Well, I hesitate to even comment because by the time this comes out tomorrow morning, who knows what the, the new news is. Our news is outdated. But I don't know. <laughs> um, well said. I think everybody talks about this really gearing up towards a tiered um, paradigm in college football where it's the Big Ten, SEC, um, then the next rung of the other, you know, power conferences, ACC, Big 12, maybe the PAC. Um, Notre Dame's, Notre Dame's sitting there. Yeah, they're sitting there. And, uh, and then everybody else. And so, you know, all the buzz this week's been about whether the Big 12 can, can raid the PAC, um, what's going on with the ACC's grant of rights and how flexible is that? What's Notre Dame going to do? Um, and, Suffice to say, at this point, I think a lot of it... I, I think the thing important to K-State fans and Big 12 people is this uh, move by the PAC to reopen and, and renegotiate or at least begin negotiations with their new TV contract. I think, um, you know, if, if Fox or ESPN tells them, listen, here's what life looks like in the PAC-12 after... Uh, USC and UCLA exit, and that number is low relative to what they'd be looking at in the Big 12. Um, if the four corner schools, Washington, Oregon, join, any number of those teams join, then I think it's an easy decision for them. They come over to the Big 12. If uh, that number is equal or um, better than what they'd get in the Big 12, then I think they stay. And so um, if I had my druthers, I think we'd get the four corner schools, call it a day. And what happens to Washington and Oregon, Washington State, Oregon State, Stanford and Cal, isn't really our problem. Um, but I think the PAC's in kind of a perilous position because you have, you still have the big monsters over there. I mean, you still have teams that are essentially, I mean, maybe not quite the disproportionate value that Texas and OU had in the Big 12, but still a clear level above the, its other 10 cohorts in the conference with Washington and Oregon. And they're gazing eyes, always looking east to the Big 10. Um, so I think it's uncomfortable. I think it's uncomfortable for those schools, uh, like uh, the Four Corner schools for, for Oregon State, Washington State, uh, because they're going through what we all went through last summer where sure. it's it's a um, feels like an existential threat oh absolutely um, and so I think once they get there some level of certainty in terms of what the number is going to be in the post UCLA USC Pac-12 that'll really govern which way they go and whether that's to the Big 12 whether that's staying in the pack uh, for the time being whether that means bringing on some uh, Western G5 programs like Boise, UNLV, Colorado State, uh, San Diego State, Pro Fresno, programs like that to kind of backfill the same way the Big 12 did. Um, I think it all comes down to how those negotiations go with their uh, TV provider. You know, one thing, I and, and I don't really have too many big thoughts on it. I think it's 
kind of like you said, you know, by the time this podcast out, there might already be an announcement. You know, yeah, who, who's going where and all that stuff. But schools like Oregon State, Washington State, we've been in those shoes before. Yeah, and and your heart goes out. Some it sucks for them. Yeah, and that's that's. I'll let you finish. No, all I'm all I'm going to say is I don't know where they'll end up and, and what this will look like, you know, in the next thirty days, the next twenty years. I mean, fill fill in the blank wherever you want to for any sort of time horizon. Uh, but to me, I don't understand how college football is in a better place when schools like Washington State, Oregon State, because Oregon State's building like a brand new stadium. Yeah, too, which. Oregon State, and I hesitate to even group those teams together because Oregon State is, I mean, neither of them are powerhouses by any stretch in terms of fan attendance, uh, TV ratings, or even wins and losses. But uh, Washington State draws like 22,000. Oh, yeah, they have a, they have, they like, have two of the smallest, uh, you know, uh, football stadium in terms of capacity in, right. in P5. But Oregon State, I mean, for what it's worth, Oregon State draws like 50% more per game than Washington State sure. does. Which, 50% more than 20,000 is only 30,000. But, um, no, it, it's still a bummer. I mean, yeah. I, I have PTSD from being so anxious about where K-State was going to end up this time last year that, that it really does suck for them. Now, programs like Cal and Stanford, which... They have um, uncertain futures, too. Um, I don't feel bad for them. <laughs> Cal and Stanford can go suck eggs for all I care. Because they ought to be better than they are. Um, and they Cal are, hasn't seemingly been very good in about 20 years. Yeah. I mean, and they... I was looking at Cal's attendance numbers today. They draw... And they like, built a brand new stadium. Or, well, not a brand new, but they rent a, They completely <laughs> gutted their stadium. They are leveraged up to their ears in debt. Yeah. It, um, it's not a great financial situation for them, for sure. They draw, like, 37,000 uh, per game, I think. I was looking at their numbers earlier today. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm not concerned about them. I don't care a lick about what happens to those schools because... You know, this time last year, they were the ones shouting about how, um, at least in the way I remember it, they were the ones who were mega selective about who could, who the Pac-12 would accept based on academics and politics and all this stupid stuff. When it's like, you guys draw 37,000 people per game. You guys, your average viewership is far less than K-State's. Like, get off your high horse. And so, to hell with them. But I do feel bad for... Oregon State and Washington State. But a lot of this is yet to be written. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. there is absolutely a path for Oregon State and Washington State um, and really all the rest of the remaining Pac-12 members to stay the course, forge ahead, backfill or not, um, and kind of exist in this strange limbo that the Big 12 has existed in since the first departures. Um, and so uh, whether the Big 12... Rem- raids the Pac-12 and and kind of uh, leaves some of these schools behind is, you know, will remain to be seen. Uh, but the whole thing sucks. I mean, sure. No, it's a if, terrible situation if, by yourself. And... If K-State can fortify itself uh, as a byproduct of it all, then great. 
but um, no, <laughs> college football's getting worse. Oh, and that's and I'm gonna leave it at this for my comments on on conference realignment. Is you know I look back, you know, 20, 25 years. You know, we've all been watching this game now for for about that long. And when I look back at what I consider the golden era of college football, I think mid to late 90s to mid 2000s. Oh, that coincides now, just now, about. I was going to say, does that coincide maybe with uh, K-State's uh, really good run of football? Yeah, it does. But you know what? I think anyone that would look at that and say, you know, that was a really good stretch of college football. Yeah, that's uh, when there were like regional rivalries yeah. that made sense. And, you know, I don't know who looked at college football. I, I do know who looked at it. 20, 25 years ago and says, you know what, this great product that that people all over the country love uh, because you play your rivals, you're not traveling five or three time zones uh, to, to go play a conference game. You're able to pick up uh, in the car, make a two or three hour drive someplace to go watch your team play on the road. Uh, I don't know who looked at what college football was at that time and said, you know what, we need to completely blow this up and, and we need to have UCLA and USC uh, going to State College, Pennsylvania, uh, for a for a Tuesday night basketball game or or for a uh, for a for a Saturday football game in the eleven o'clock window. Yeah, I it, it, I hate to see where college football ha- has gone in that regards. There's still some great things about the game, but that uh, and where this thing is going with conference realignment is something I can't get on board with. No, it's stupid, and I would just counsel K State fans that don't be jerks. Throughout all this, because you know, you look on Twitter and it's oh, let's raid the Pac-12 and great, but careful about being so gung ho about this bloodlust, because K-State's not a heavy hitter in terms of the TV networks either. And while it's Oregon State and Washington today, it can just as easily be K-State tomorrow. And I, and I recognize that this is the game now, and we're all self-interested. Um, and if K-State can fortify its place at the college football landscape by screwing over Washington State and Oregon State and whoever else, then whatever. Great. But um, just remember that there are unfortunates involved here. There are good people in Corvallis and Washington State who are big Cougs and Beavs fans and that are all about, you know, Waving the flag and, and yeah, revving, up, revving up the chainsaw and, and all this stuff. And just remember to have a little humility, at least in public, about all this. Because it's, it's just crappy if you're cheering on the destruction of programs that are going to potentially be really screwed over in all this. And that our, our medicine might be coming down the line if this thing consolidates with the 30, 35 biggest quote-unquote, brands. So pay attention. Lord knows I have over the last week. Um, But just don't be seen. Just don't be a jerk about it. Sage advice, though. Yeah. That's good advice. Maybe that's pompous and and condescending. But just remember that we're K-State and that, um, you know, while it's Oregon and Washington State today, it was us last year and it might be us next year. Well said, though. Hell, it might be us tomorrow. You never can tell. Always, always crazy there. Um, Okay, before we get to uh, our final segment of of Ask the Icon, 
Uh, and Dell, do we have a Wildcat legend for this week? No. No, no Wildcat legend this week. Okay. Uh, the Wildcat legend this week is Travis Wilson. Travis Wilson, great Wildcat legend. Yep. Big number 44. Big 44. Big fan of Travis Wilson. Didn't get as many carries. You know, people always talk about Nick Vick and Thick. Yeah. Nick this, Vick this, Thick that. Great big boy fullback trio. People don't, people don't forget, people don't talk too much about old Travis Wilson. He had a lot of important blocks. He did. People talk Paying about the Darren Sproles. Yeah. People remember L. Roberson? Darren Sproles? Well, there was a third guy in that backfield. His name was Travis Wilson. That's why he's this week's Wildcat legend. Well put. Well put. Well, let's go ahead and, and kind of put a bow on this uh, before, we, before we get into Ask the Icon. You know, we're, we're less than two months away here from kickoff of the 2022 season. How are we feeling about the 2022 Cats? Just briefly, in terms of kind of what your expectations are and kind of where we find ourselves. We'll, we'll be breaking down yeah. uh, the 2022 Cats in, in great detail here in some later iterations of the Short Side Option podcast. But, uh, you know, Dell, what do you think kind of here as we get, we look down at less than 60 days away from kickoff, what are we feeling here for the 2022 Cats? Yeah, it, you know, it feels a little bit like that... Um, like 2017 yeah, uh, season where it's like, you know, I got pretty high hopes for him. I, yeah. I think that there's not really a position group um, that that feels like a huge liability, maybe wide receiver, but um, across the board, it, it seems like we're in pretty good shape, at least first string everywhere. I guess my, to that end, I don't see a game on our schedule that I say we have no shot at winning that. And, and I wouldn't even go that far. I would say there's not a game on our schedule. I mean, we'll be underdogs in Oklahoma. Yeah. We'll probably be underdogs at Baylor. Well, it's, it, yeah, it's hard to guess lines. It's hard, it's hard to guess. So right. Far. But today, but yeah. We are a slight favorite against Texas via the, the uh, Las Vegas Superbook game of the year. Uh, early spreads that have come out. Oklahoma State's going to be a tough one. We get both Oklahoma State and Texas at home. Mm -hmm. There's not a game that I have to really say, you know what? Against Oklahoma, we've had success there. More success there than we have in Manhattan. Uh, I I look at this schedule and I think it sets up really, really nicely for Kansas State uh, here in 2022. And I share that same opinion when you look up and down this roster at the position groups, defensive line, I think arguably the best in, in the Big 12. Sure. A little thin at that. Defensive tackle position, mm-hmm. but when, in the 3-3-5, you, know, you can yep. maybe make do there. Linebackers, you feel good about Daniel Green being back. Will Honus seems to be a, a guy that, that they're counting on. Now he's had injury concerns. But, but you feel pretty good about that linebacker position. And a little thin there. A little thin there. But but, but to what the point I guess I'm getting at, I think it echoes yours as well. Top 22? Yes. Yeah. Top 22, I'd put up against top 22 anywhere else. Anywhere else in the Big 12, no question. Yeah. Um, now, problem is, is there will be injuries. There will be injuries, no um, You know, I think there are certain positions we can afford those. Interior offensive line, I think we can make do with an injury or two there. 
I, I think Secondary, I feel okay about if it's in the right positions. Right. Running back? Nope. Uh-oh. Um, Wide receiver. Malik Knowles goes down? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, Adrian Martinez goes down? Big uh-oh. Um, and so there are some... We're going to have... Injury luck is going to play a factor for us one way or the other. Sure. Either we stay healthy at these key positions, and if that's the case, then I think K-State is potentially a double-digit win team. Um, injury bug nips us at the wrong positions, then I think K-State's really struggling to get to a bowl game, depending on which way it goes. Yeah. And that's the case for just about, you know, if Michael Bishop got hurt in 1997. Big problem. Yeah, Although, well, still have Jonathan Beasley waiting. Sure. And we had to count on him for that Ohio State game, if you recall. Or not, the, the Ohio game, rather. And Texas Tech. Yeah, but burned his red shirt in the Ohio game. And so, all that to say that being deep across the two deep is a luxury that hardly anybody in college football Feel has. Far but um, I'd feel better if we had another nose tackle, another linebacker, and... Um, another two or three. Receivers. I would have really liked to see us go and grab a wide receiver. In, well, we did in the tra- Well, I liked to see us maybe grab another one. Yeah, the, the guy, the, the guy from Ole Miss, and, and I'm, I can't remember his name. I, I'm blanking on Doug. his name right now. Doug, we'll call him Doug for 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 sake. Uh-huh. Guy that's played some football, which which is good. But you know, the thing is with with the wide receiver group is if you really kind of swim hard enough. Malik Knowles, lots of return experience. Philip Brooks, lots of return experience. Cade Warner, a guy that played some good football for us last year. You look up and down that. R.J. Garcia. R.J. Garcia is a guy that has been drawing rave reviews yep. here throughout spring ball. But you got to be careful about those because we heard that about Keenan Garber last year too, and that's a guy who just for whatever reason can't keep on weight. Um, really didn't, hasn't really done much. But to your point, uh, there are a number of familiar names out there. Absolutely. And I think that the biggest biggest question mark for, for this 2022 team, as you said, and we, we, we both discussed this, the injury bug is going to come up eventually. How does this team be able to manage it? I, I think if this team stays relatively healthy, this is a team that can compete for the Big 12 title. Oh, and, yeah. And, and I think we both are agreeing there, and, and we look forward to breaking this down in a lot more detail here in, in episodes to come. But uh, early returns on, on where our outlook is on, on K-State. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. Six and a half win total. That seems I'm, I'm easy. I am eager. You and I are both fans of the Beyond the Bets. The oh, Stanford yeah. Stephen the Bear podcast yeah. where they kind of – Oh, yeah. Here in the next week or two, they'll uh, be shuffling down their favorite uh, plays and, in terms and, of And by totals. the way, those guys, I can't remember if it was last I think it had to have been last year because I don't think they probably put one out during 2020. Uh, those guys were something ridiculous, like 10-0-1 oh, on, on, on their win total. So, folks... That, that's a plug right there if you want to make some money to listen to Stanford Steve and the band. And they're, they're just and fun. The, the, it, it, to me, I've been listening to that podcast, I think, pretty much consistently for the last, like, seven years. Huge fan of their work. Well, so. and they're always, at least in this time of year, always just 
slobbering over Kansas State because we're perennially underrated. Stanford Steve always has loved them. Loved uh, Bears a little. Uh, Bear, Bears a little. He has his eyes uh, for a team in Ames. Yeah. Well, nonetheless, um, yeah. I don't. I think six and a half is is astonishingly low. But the Missouri game will be key. Absolutely. Well, folks, we're going to take a quick break, and then we are going to be back to answer your questions. It's your turn to jump in the short side. Yeah. Hop on in here. Maybe be the. Maybe be the. Uh, the fullback read here. Or maybe be the pitchman. Maybe be the guy calling the shots here at the quarterback position. It's your opportunity, and that's next on the Short Side Option. Welcome back to this edition of the Short Side Option podcast. I am D. Lou. I'm here with the icon. And we are getting into the final segment on today's show, a segment that we like to call Ask the Icon, where listeners to the Short Side Option can submit their very own questions to the Short Side Option's icon. And he'll do his best to answer him. I'll, I'll do my best. And, and you can tweet him in at TSSO underscore podcast. We solicit questions. You can use the hashtag AskTheIcon. And people are always checking that. Constantly. So constantly checking for, for new questions, ways to connect with our listeners. And, uh, you know, we've got a great batch of questions here, uh, here for this week's show. And if you don't want to use Twitter, maybe just pick a night this week. Or next week, um, break into the icon's house while he's sleeping. Be quiet. Go up to his room. Whisper your question right in his ear. Say, "Icon, hey, hey, icon, I have a question for you." And subconsciously, uh, he'll take in that information. It'll absorb in his head, and maybe he'll uh, read us out, read it, read out your question on the show. Um, by the way, do you have any, any, you know? Ideas that maybe somebody asked you a question while you were sleeping? Not, not nothing that comes to mind. All right. But I, I, I'm a very heavy sleeper, so it might have to be more of a, hey, I wake up. <laughs> get after me a little bit. It's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get that question. I'll, I'll log it in there, and we'll, we'll get it to you. No, 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 uh, no worries. <laughs> wake up. Um, our first question this week comes from listener BTC at BeantownCat22. He asks, uh, excuse me, he doesn't ask a question. He, was he, just, he just said some well wishes for us. He was just kind of pumping <laughs> our tires a little That's bit. right. He was giving us some gas. Uh, the actual first question comes from hashtag Tangang at KSU underscore funny 33. Always a, a frequent contributor of the Ask the Icon segment. He says, hey, Icon, with the commitment of Avery Johnson, who was the last recruit K-State football or K-State men's basketball landed that had you this excited? Okay, I'm going to answer this in two parts. Two part. First part. First part we'll touch on is the basketball side. Sure. Dean Wade. Yeah. Love Dean Wade. Had a chance to watch him play in high school a little bit, and I said, this guy is going to be, it might not happen for him year one. But this is a guy that's going to be here for four years and is going to be a really nice player for K-State. And I remember watching him in his freshman year at K-State. I was, it was a non-conference game that, that, uh, that I was at. And I tweeted it out, and I had the receipt. So any of you funny guys, uh, any of you wise guys that say, oh, you didn't say this. I, I got the receipts to prove it, buddy. And I said, Dean Wade is going to be an all-time player at K-State. I think I even said top 10 player all-time in Kansas State history. And you know what? I can make the argument that he is. I think maybe he's. Sure. Yeah. Because you know why? I've watched the games. That's why. 
I know. I know a top 10 player when I see him. Dean Wade was a top 10 player at Kansas State University. Strong answer. All right. So now on the football side of things. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about Josh Wade. Huge recruiting win. But I get a little bit more jazz for maybe some some of the uh, for some of the football recruits that because you know you sign more of them right mm-hmm. and there's there's twenty five to thirty guys that maybe get brought in a, in, in a certain class right sure. and two guys that I was excited about and they committed at the same time I think you might know who I'm going with this I have no idea but it feels like you're getting ready to rattle off a wildcat legend here Devonte Derricott and Terrell Klingskills. Yeah, now that was a big coup. Those two guys coming from uh, Garden City Community College. uh, And, you know, the thing is with those guys... Remember Community College recruiting? Yeah. Where'd that go? Gone by the way of the transfer portal. Man. But those two guys, and I think the biggest reason is because they were part of the 2014 recruiting class at Kansas State. That 2014 team I had very high hopes for. And I think we all did. And that was a great team, 9-3. Yep. Uh, spent, you know, spent some, a lot of time in the top 10 that year. Yeah, a lot of time in the top 10. Uh, you know, great uh, offense with, with Jake Waters slinging the ball around to Tremaine Thompson. Or not Tremaine Thompson. Curry Sexton, Tyler Lockett, Tremaine Thompson graduating the year before. Curry Sexton now governing one of the uh, K-State name and likeness. That's right. And, collectives. You know, that team, I thought, was like, oh, man, we got a big-time recruit at the linebacker position. These ju- JUCO guys, it's plug-and-play. I mean, these guys are going to be able to come in right away at, at two positions that we really needed some help at, linebacker and defensive tackle. And I don't think Derek ever played – ever. He, I think he dressed, but I don't know if he ever got into a game. If he did, just one or two. Yeah. Um, and, and then Clink Scales – was out after a year with, with minimal production. So that's the one thing I will say. Absolutely excited. And I don't think that uh, Avery Johnson and uh, and we touched on Dylan Edwards. I don't think they're going to go that way in terms of their production at Kansas State. But it is a stark reminder. You know, until these guys get out there on the field and prove themselves, it's all a little bit of a guessing game for well, sure. Yeah. But uh, love what uh, K-State was able to do with uh, securing the commitment of, of Avery Johnson and, and Dylan Edwards as well. Because not only did K-State solidify the quarterback position and the running back position with in-state kids, but they solidified that position for the next few years. Yeah. Nice to have stand back. Yeah. <laughs> How about that, huh? For the next few years. For the next few years. Um. It's a great answer, Icon, and a great question by uh, KSU Funny. Uh, next question comes from Ryan Moss at PowerCat Ryan. Uh, he asks, hey, ask the Icon, using the hashtag. Had a boy. Which of the remaining Pac-12 schools are studs and which are duds? Okay, great question. You touched on it with the, uh, the four-corner schools. And, and, you know, the thing is that I would say really should be the three-corner schools. New Mexico is not entering in, into the mix here. That's a good point. That's great. But, um, I digress. All right. We're going to play a little word association here. Okay. All right. And I'm, and I'm, I think the two words that I'm going to be saying here are said or done. That's right. Okay. So when I say team, you give me your answer. I think, I think I can follow this. Washington. This is a little tricky. I know. But I agree with you. I'm going dud. Colorado. 
dud. Yeah, Washington State. I'd like to add them, but they're they're dud here. Berkeley, dud. Stanford. I could go stud there. Whoa. I could go stud there, but I, I don't think it's a fit, really, for the Big 12. It, it, it's a dud with an asterisk. I kind of like them maybe more than other schools, but I, I don't think that there's any chance that they would join the Big 12. Two Taco Belly. Arizona. Stud. I scouted out. I was out in Tucson just recently. I scouted out the McHale Center. I, st- I, uh, I scouted out Arizona Memorial Stadium. They are a stud to me. Utah. Stud. No question. Arizona State. Stud. Oregon. Dud. Oregon State. Kind of the same little uh, little uh, asterisk I put next to uh, it's kind of the Stanford, but more so in, in the same vein as Washington State. I, I would love to add them into the conference, but I, I don't think it makes logical sense to probably do so. Uh, great fan bases, committed fan bases. I think we'd get along well with the Beavs. I'm a Beaver, you know, Scott City Beaver, not not the same as the Oregon State. We did steal their old logo at, at Scott Community High School, uh, but I, I I just don't really see it uh, with with the, with uh, with Washington State or Oregon State is making great sense at this point in time. So I think I, I counted four studs. I counted three studs. You got both Arizonas. I got both Arizonas, and I've got Utah. And you got you got Stanford too. I did, but I I, I said stud, but I don't think it, it makes really. Are they a stud studs. or a dud? They're they're stud. They're stud. I've got four studs. That would be the four I'd like to add, because you know it's more of a thing of principle with Colorado. They left us high and dry twelve years ago. Now that the shoe's on the other foot, I have a long memory, and. Uh, I know everyone talks about, oh, how great would it be to have a trip to Boulder? How great would it be to go to the mountains? You know, miss me with that. I'm, I'm out on Colorado. An elephant never forgets. Um, yeah, you know what would be... Just, yeah, let me turn, you know, let you know, turn this on you. Um, who, who you got is studs and duds. Four corners with an asterisk by Colorado. Okay. Um, you know what would be sweet? Doesn't make any financial sense, but adding like uh, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado State, just being kingmakers, like yeah. Colorado wither on the vine, kick, baby. Uh, kick uh, CU Boulder back down the road. And that would be a real message that we're not to be trifled with. And that's important. If we could, if if there was a way to make that happen, I would just be. Tickled pink. Oh, it would, but as you mentioned, probably doesn't make financial sense. But you know, hey, in our world, you know. In my fan fiction, that's what's that's what's I happening. I like it. I like it, Bill. <clears throat> well, icon. We're gonna take a stroll to a familiar spot, a spot that K State fans love full well, a spot that we here on the short side option call Philosopher's Corner. Oh, I've been needing. Kind of an introspective look. And I, I'm glad that we get this here. Not only an introspective, but looking at the world around you. Really channeling everything that's around you as you offer your own personal journey. Let's hear what, what the philosopher has to say today. And this is an exciting uh, trip to Philosopher's Corner because it's two-parter. Oh, two-parter. The first. 
As we consider the recruiting efforts of Coach Kleiman and his staff, I'm reminded of the following quote. Quote, The first method for estimating the intelligence of a ruler is to look at the men he has around him. End quote. That's from Machiavelli in The Prince. How intelligent is Coach Kleiman in your estimation? Very intelligent. Very, very smart. Smart question. question. Smart question. So, so based on basically, how do you feel about Kleiman's efforts to surround himself with like smart people? You know, I think I mentioned it earlier. Courtney Messingham is still the offensive corner at Kansas State. We don't have the recruiting class we have coming in with Avery Johnson. Sure. We, don't, we probably don't have Dylan Edwards either. And don't forget about uh, bringing in Thad, too. Bringing in Thad, exactly. Now, that was the next point I'm going to get to. Get a little bit more juice on the recruiting trail. Guy that has, uh, at, at, uh, when he was uh, the off- or not the offensive coordinator, the wide receiver coach at uh, the University of Illinois Champa- uh, Champaign-Urbana. Yeah. Uh, he, I believe, was uh, the mayor of what they called Liddyville. That's right. And, you know, you bring some of that, that drip. You bring some of that swag. You know, my friend Second City Marty, who I've told you about before. Of course. Big, big 10 guy. When uh, when we hired Thad. He said, uh, congratulations. He was big. He said, this guy created Liddyville. That's big. That's big, big time. time. Yeah. And so not only is Kleinman a coaching genius for surrounding themselves with uh, the right the right group of coaches, but he has also had to make some tough decisions along the way. And so his intestinal fortitude to be able to make some of those hard decisions shows great not only mental intelligence, also the emotional intelligence to be able to separate what's right from my relationships to what helps me run on the field. He's just going on his journey, man. Absolutely. Well, we'll get into our uh, second segment from The Philosopher. Quote, You are what your record says you are. End quote. It's from Bill Parcells. After a year in which the Wildcats went 8-5, and five, there were many points during the season where fans felt that nine wins might have, been, might have better reflected our efforts. But, we have to be fair, and we must listen to another great Hall of Fame football bill, and know that we will we always were and always will be eight and five in two thousand twenty one. But this truth is harsh and bitter. And it tr- is. It and, is. Yeah. It was. It still is. And true lovers of college football and women will never fully accept what might have been but never was. But this season is not for dwelling on what might have been, but rather of dreaming of what is yet to come. At the end of the 2022 season, will the University of Kansas State Wildcats fans embrace the record and what it says, or will they gnash their teeth? Wow. wow. That, that's, that's kind of deep stuff there. That is really smart. So, essentially what he's asking, are our K-State fans going to be happy with what tw- what 22 what 2022 has in store for for this year's iteration of the Kansas State Wildcats. Yeah, I think that is what he was asking. And I say, yes. K-State fans will be happy with the program's progress and be happy to hang their hat on a record that fully encapsulates what took place 
on the football field in 2022. Yeah, that much. Yeah, that much I can say with confidence. All right. I love where I love I love where we're going with that. And I and I love what philosophers bring in tonight. Oh, absolutely. two questions. Two. That's big time stuff from him. Man, well, thank you, thank you, to the philosopher. He always does a great job. Our final question this week comes from listener Easy Stevesy at SL Keck. Always does a great job. Well, I believe we have another question after this too, don't we? Yeah, you're right. That this was, isn't this was, isn't the final one. Yeah, this is, a, a, but a great one I know coming coming in here. Um, Steve Z asks, set the over under K State combined basketball and football Big Twelve championships over the next five years. Set it at one and a half. I think that's about right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. With it, uh, gotta be fair. Well, and with. OU in Texas leaving. I'm getting some new programs in here. More programs. So that... Maybe none rising... Certainly none rising to the level of... Uh, OU football stranglehold on the conference over the last... You know, decade or so. Sure. But... Four new teams to compete with. So, that'll be pretty tough. But I think one and a half's... Uh, a good number. Solid um, number. You know. We've had... One of those in the last five years. Yep. So, the five years before that, we had two. Does that stretch all the way back to two thousand, the three month season? I think it does. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think one and a half is a, a measured, um, conservative answer there from you. Good job. Oh, uh, Steve Z also had a second question here. So, what musical artists have begun in your regular rotation over the past year? An oldie, but a goodie. I've been listening to a lot of Fleetwood Mac lately. Oh, yeah. Well, that's great. Love Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. I'm a huge, huge Stevie Nicks fan. Well, you will, yeah. You have a poster up in your room. I do. I do. I'm a huge fan of Stevie Nicks. Well, that's fantastic. For me, I've been listening to uh, really discovered the Strokes oh, last yeah. year. I really like them. I think okay. they're great. Great. Um, Late, late to the party on that one, too, but uh, nonetheless. So our last week comes from listener Rhino. Rhino and Lenexa. Okay. Um, yeah, he, and he's entering the mix here. Yeah, he's entering the mix here on a, he thir- says hello. on a Thursday morning, or whenever you happen to be listening to this. But listener Rhino and Lenexa asks, Who's a good pro comp for Avery? He said, I saw someone say Sam Darnold earlier, and I don't get that at all. So who do you compare... Avery Johnson, too, on the pro level? Difficult question. Yeah. Difficult question, not having seen Avery Johnson uh, when the bullets are flying, so to speak, at the college level. He hasn't seen the bullets fly. But what I... You like that little hat tip to a, to another legend right there, don't you? Is that uh, Manhattan? Oh, uh, that's Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Manhattan is a, a K-State icon. No question. He's up there with you, D. Scott, uh, Bill Snyder, the whole mix. the whole the whole ring world. That's my Robert. Yes, yeah, no question. Stan Weber. My, yeah, Stan Weber. Absolutely, Ivan. Ivan's also an icon. Yeah. Um. Okay. Pro comp. Pro comp. Let's let's get back down to brass tacks here. A taller Kyler Murray, mm-hmm. but with the intangibles. And none of the bad stuff, like the the great leadership, kind of the 
the quiet confidence, and this isn't a great comparison, but kind of that swag of Baker Mayfield without any of the other additional baggage. Yeah, I don't know. Does he have, like, swag? Oh, he's got swag. All right. He's, got, he's not only got swag, but he's also got drip. Got that drip, bro. We're slapping our uh, yeah. veins he, here. He's, he's, he's the real deal. No question. And, Deli, we were kind of talking offline here a little bit. You had a comp that I really liked, actually. I think uh, Russell Wilson, Mr. Unlimited. Mr. Unlimited. And, you know, it's interesting you bring up Mr. Unlimited, Russell Wilson. But I've heard the Darnold comparison, too. That's what, like, all the... And Sam Darnold's great. Yeah. Great, great college quarterback. Most definitely. Uh, but it's interesting you bring up Russell Wilson, you know, having gone to the Denver Broncos. Uh, I think the Denver Broncos are well-positioned not only now for this year, but for future right. days to right. dominate the AFC. All right. Well, you don't know you don't know anything about the AFC. Yeah, I, I, don't, You're waste an my, I don't waste my time with a substandard... Yeah. Football conference. Yeah, yeah. You just Santiago was a substandard marine. Yeah, you're you're more of an NFC. You know, I think the NFC should join the SEC. I think that'd be good be competition step, for him. Be a step down for him. Would it? The the NFC is the oldest and greatest league in professional football. Yeah. Okay. I don't. But no, I think. Uh, I don't think that'd be worth their time. By the way. I, and this is my last thing I'm going to say. And this actually kind of curtails us into my next thing I wanted to discuss here. Okay. Bill, is there anything else you wanted to mention here? No, I just think that he's he's fleet of foot and can make a lot of throws. I think Kyler Murray's a good. Uh, yeah, I kind of like that. I think I think um, I think Avery projects to a better arm than Baker, but oh yeah, no, the Baker Mayfield is only the intangibles in the swag. Mm, okay. But Kyler Murray is the is the yeah. is the comp. Yeah, I think that's a good comp. Okay, so there's been you know we've talked about conference realignment. There's been some realignment in the broadcast bits of here in the major networks here on the NFL side of things. Kirk Herbstreit going calling games on. Oh yeah, on, Kirk Herbstreit on on, on 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 Amazon. That's where I get to. Yeah, and we'll get to Kirk. And we'll get to Herbie here in a little bit. But seeing Joe Buck and Troy Aikman going off of Fox to go to ESPN to call one Monday night game, you know, and I know they're obviously only calling one one Fox game, but I, I just don't like that. That's just not going to sit well with me. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell that really has been sticking in your craw here as of late, too. All I have to say about that is Troy Aikman looks like uh, Jay-Z. Once you see it, you can never unsee it. Yeah. Uh, but now, this leads us into the Kirk Herbstreit portion that I teased earlier. Oh, I thought that was the Kirk Herbstreit. No, no oh. this, this gets into it. So I've been reading Kirk Herbstreit's biography, Out of the Pocket. Oh, I know where this is going. And Del, you, like me, have been a college football nut for years. Decades. It, yeah. And, I mean, if you're anything like me, your, your mornings when you weren't, you'd go into a K-State game, or even if you were at the K-State game and you are at the hotel earlier... Would always be flipping on college game day for at that point at early in the well late in the nineties early in the two thousands only an hour production now yeah. it's like three hours well now they have to run fifteen feature stories on you know so and so's grandma yeah exactly but back in the old days in the golden era of college football it's just straight analysis none of this fluff that feeds up three hours yeah but Dill I'm gonna ask you something here okay. 
Did it not seem to you? Now, granted, Lee Corso was always uh, a big fan of Kansas State. I believe he picked us to win the national title a few times. Yeah. But did it not always seem like Kirk Herbstreit kind of had it out for K State a little bit? You know, I associated that more with Fowler, who used to uh, be a mainstay on the game day crew. Oh, sure. Only because he was a CU buff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was always like, shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, um, sure. And I always felt like he kind of slighted K-State because of scheduling and this sort of thing. You know, I never really got that any kind of animosity from from Herbie. Um, but maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention. Well, I did. And I don't have the record in front of us, but K-State has hosted two college game days at home. Nebraska 98, Oklahoma 2000. Right. They've been parts of several. Baylor in 2014 most recently. Uh, Texas 2003. Texas 2003. Big 12 uh, Championship game 2000 against Oklahoma in right. that rematch. I, can, I cannot remember a time where K-State was uh, you know, hosting or, or part of the, the uh, college game day site where Kirk Herbstreit ever picked K-State. Maybe not. Not maybe not. He did not. Okay. So he has it out for Kansas State. All right. Hey, fine. So I always this is Settle always down. this has always bothered me. Okay. So, but I've always been able to look past it. It's haunted you. It's haunted me. And I, but I've always been able to to look past it. Well, nobody really cares about Herbstreit's pick, anyways. He he does lose a little bit of luster to. Well, to, to Lee Corson. Lee, the show, the picks are, are Lee. a celebrity and Lee. Well, back in the day, they didn't always have a celebrity either. But, oh, I know that. But anyway, but anyway. But it always has bothered me that Kirk Herbstreit was never given K-State the love that I felt they deserved. Mm-hmm. And so in reading his biography, I come across something that I find very interesting. That maybe explains this inherent bias he has against Kansas State. Yeah. So I'm reading his book. And Kirk Herbstreit, as many people that have followed, you know, Kirk Herbstreit and, and know about him, played his football, college football at Ohio State. Started a quarterback there uh, in his final season at, at, uh, at, at the Ohio State. And he mentioned, I believe it was going into his sophomore or junior year, they got a new quarterback coach who he hated. And he makes no bones about this. He he. Straight up in the book calls this gentleman that was his quarterback coach a complete buffoon, says he was an idiot, and, and is not at all pulling any punches wow. about how much he, how little he thought of this individual and how bad of a coach he was. So what does this have to do with his disgusting disdain for, for Kansas State? When Kansas State was really hitting its stride on a national level, late 90s into the early 2000s. Who was the offensive coordinator for Kansas State? Uh, well, Ron Hudson. It was Ron Hudson. He was the quarterback coach? He was the quarterback coach. He was the buffoon? He was the buffoon that Kirk Herbstreit loathed and hated. Does he call him out by name? And oh, yeah, he does. He, calls, he says Ron he, he Hudson. He says Ron Hudson is a complete joke. <laughs> and he, he does not pull any punches. So, folks... 
And this isn't only an antidote you would get on the Short Side Option podcast, or if you picked up a copy of Kirk Herbstreet's autobiography titled Out of the Pocket. Available at all major bookstores. And on your Amazon Kindle, if that's your preferred method of reading. I'm a hardback guy. Yeah. Just, just always have been. Always have been, always will be. Um, it starts connecting the dots a little bit into Herbie's past with Kansas State and why uh, he, he has never been a fan of Kansas State and it's all due to Ron Hudson. Well, you know what? Maybe the first step in rectifying this and patching this wound, get Kirk, get Ron in the same room, maybe share a little glass of K-State branded vodka, hash out their differences. You know, we can perhaps, make that happen. Perhaps. Maybe on the next edition of the Short Side Option, we'll... we'll We'll set up a Zoom call and we can kind of mediate uh, their disagreements and see if there's any way we can uh, patch that relationship. Because obviously Ron Hudson, what can you say? He had a run-in with Herbie, but had a proud career at Kansas State. Herbie, a legend on the college football landscape. There's no reason those two should be at odds. I agree. I agree. We'd love to be able to have that reunion happen. Yeah. Uh, And folks... I think that does it here for us on the short side option this week. Icon, you have any parting words for our listeners? You know, no, but uh, please follow us on Twitter at TSSO Podcast. Uh, like and subscribe to the uh, the podcast feed so that way you get uh, the the most recent and hard hitting analysis on Kansas State football and Jacoby Lane. and Jacoby Lane's recruitment. Yeah. You cannot because we are the foremost authority on that. We are the exclusive home of all things Jacoby Lane recruitment. Um, wire to wire Dell it's been a pleasure to be on with you can't wait for uh, our next episode we're going to be breaking down offense defense and we will be giving in here in the next couple months our season predictions for Kansas State yeah and, uh, and we also might have a little uh, special episode about with a book review uh, our good friend D. Scott Fritchett and our good friend the legend. legend Powercat Snyder Absolutely. We I, now I've lent you my copy. How's how's the progress going on there? I'm making my way through it. At a boy. Yep, I'm at about nineteen ninety, about ready to start nineteen You're getting to the meat. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of dreading this this next segment, but yeah. uh, very very good book. And folks, I encourage you to pick up a copy of that. I think it's uh, it, it gives a great insight into the legend, his career. I mean, one thing that I caught, and I. Don't remember if this has taken place yet. Dell, has he had any talks about retirement yet? No. He brings up retiring a lot before he retired back in 04. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. No or spoilers. actually, excuse me, 05. Yeah. But anyway, folks, that's going to do it here for this episode of the Short Side Option Podcast. Like, subscribe, follow us on Twitter. Del, great to be on with you, and we look forward to talking some football here, uh, here, here in the months to come. Yeah, I, it's it's always a pleasure to be on with the icon, and I uh, can't wait for twenty twenty two to get closer and for uh, seeing the cats back on the gridiron. Well, folks, that'll do it here for the short side option podcast. Thanks for listening, and go cats. <laughs>